global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by CGMA, Chartered Global Management Accountant. The CGMA designation and program deliver critical skills your finance team needs to succeed. Learn more at cgma.org slash radio. U.S. stocks are falling with the S&P 500 remaining within a tight trading range after data on inflation and housing signal the economy may be gaining enough momentum for the Federal Reserve to gradually raise interest rates. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. The S&P 500 down three-tenths percent or seven points to 2059. Dow Jones Industrial Average down half percent or 82 points to 17,628. The Nasdaq's down four-tenths percent or 17 points to 47.58. Ten-year Treasury up two thirty seconds. The yield 1.74 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.80 percent. NYMEX crude oil up a quarter percent or 11 cents to 47.83 a barrel. COMEX gold up a tenth of a percent or a dollar 80 to 12.76 an ounce. The euro, $1.1341, the yen, $109.02. A report this morning showed the cost of living in the U.S. climbed in April by the most in three years, an indication that inflation may be picking up. Separate data showed residential starts increased 6.6% to a 1.17 million annualized rate from a 1.1 million rate in March. Investors queuing up to finance Dell's $67 billion acquisition of EMC with a computer maker poised to boost its offering for what's likely to be the year's second biggest corporate bond sale. The company has received more than $80 billion of orders from investors by the time its bankers close the books on Tuesday. That according to people familiar with the transaction. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Mike, Robert Gordon, move over. Talk about the, the splash. Six months ago, I know you're reading every word of Gordon, is weighty tomes about, is it the what the hell happened category? Is that safe enough? Well, yeah. Uh, It's a good way to put it. Yeah. And here is an important effort to give depth and and, and I'm going to use this word with great respect, thickness to the conversation. Why don't you bring in the author of Money Changes Everything, How Finance Made Civilization Possible. He doesn't <laughs> apologize. Uh, Yale uh, professor William Getzman uh, is the author of the book, and it's basically uh, a look at um, how we developed, in part, faster, better, uh, the civilization we know today because we were able to use finance to get there. Uh, it's a time machine, you say, because we can – move our assets backward and forward in time. Yes, that's a, a simple way of looking at it. Um, you know, a simple thing like a mortgage actually is amazing when you think about it. It it gives you a lot of money up front to buy a house, and then it also moves your money into the future so that the lender gets, um, gets to uh, live off of the proceeds um, stretching out for decades. And the interesting thing is, is people figured this out centuries and centuries ago. I mean, we tend to think of Wall Street today as the center of innovation in finance, but it's almost as if everything uh, new is is old again. Oh, the calculation of complex uh, investment instruments and um, mortgages and loans goes back almost 5,000 years. There is a book that that changed me, a splendid exchange, William Bernstein, and he gives a, a, a rave blurb 
uh, to your effort. This idea of finance and where we are now, which is that it's a train wreck, et cetera, et cetera. You work with Bob Schiller at Yale and, and a lot of other people trying to get us beyond the crisis. Are we even, are we even remotely back to a respect for money and a respect for Wall Street? I think as everybody begins to look at how much they've saved and what they're going to need for the future, they naturally are going to turn towards the financial markets uh, to do so. And so uh, even those that are deeply suspicious of savings uh, are, are and of Wall Street are thinking about their mutual funds or their ETFs. So I think there's a part of all of us that needs to and actually does respect finance, but um, people can get, get very uh, worked <clears throat> up about what they see um, right in front of them in terms right. of inequality. You wrote a definitive book on 1720. We were talking yesterday about Stephen Carter's Bloomberg View essay on 1816 and Mr. Trump's idea of debt repudi- repudiation. What can we learn from the 18th century? I mean, pre-Adam Smith, what do we learn from Enlightenment finance? Well, that's when all the mathematics of finance really uh, was developed, uh, particularly for savings like annuities. And, uh, right. You, sir, we don't do logarithms on Tuesday here. <laughs> oh, okay. We're logarithm right. free on Tuesday, just so you understand. <laughs> but, you know, um, the whole notion of somebody being able to buy an annuity today for themselves or for their children and, and uh, then count on that sustaining them into the future, that particular structure developed in the 18th century. And actually, it was the way the governments financed themselves. So when I look at what Donald Trump has to say about uh, I guess refinancing the debt. Um, I look at it in terms of this broader, uh, long-term history of how governments have financed themselves, and um, Social Security, for example, is um, an important um, thing that came out of that early financial in, um, uh, development. And yet, uh, we haven't been able to. Excuse me, Mike. It's a surveillance break exclusive. He does not mention Rogoff or Reinhardt. <laughs> Nothing about Harvard in this book. I don't know what that's about. Uh, we haven't been able to improve on uh, Social Security enough to keep it solvent. <laughs> well, it hasn't gone uh, broke yet, and I think there are pretty reasonable plans to um, continue to support it. Uh, but I think, actually, it's an idea that we could push a little harder and develop um, add-ons to Social Security that uh, would be um, uh, economically beneficial to the United States and also give a broader set of people a chance to uh, participate in in, uh, in, the, in the growth of assets as opposed to simply investing in government bonds. You go back in, in your history and uh, trace finance through Greece and Rome, uh, China, uh, medieval Europe. Uh, Did many of these concepts evolve separately in different places, or did uh, we build one on another to come up with the financial world we have today? You know, what's really interesting is if you look at China, which uh, was quite separate from the uh, from from Europe for for centuries, they had the same kinds of problems that um, the Europeans had, but they solved them in different ways by creating a a larger governmental structure uh, with an accounting system um, as opposed to a, I would say, a bond based system. So when the Europeans were developing municipal bonds and debt finance, the Chinese were kind of doing the opposite and creating um, a governmental structure that was more prone to lend to people rather than to borrow from them. 
You mentioned Bob Schiller on page 331. That's a disgrace in itself. It should have been mentioned on page 3 or even in the introduction. <laughs> you get the Keynes in emotion in page 440-something. We've become more emotional. We've become more Schillerian behavioral in that. What have we learned about the behavior of black swans uh, uh, beyond the stereotypes of the Depression? What have we learned about the emotion of finance? You know, I think that the brain has two parts to it, and uh, we've seen some fantastic work uh, by Dan Kahneman um, about this. And one part is very reactive and emotional. The other part is rational and calculating. Um, the rational calculating part, I think, is the part that um, is closely tied to financial calculation and thinking carefully about the future. A lot of people don't like to go there, and, and they don't necessarily have to if they can delegate their decision-making to others. But um, I see the, um, the, the, the ebb and flow of, of reactions to the markets in terms of uh, sometimes that uh, that uh, that type number one brain, the type that overreacts, is um, is in play. Right now, um, what we've seen, and, and this is work with Bob Schiller that's not in the book, but some research that he and I and, and somebody else are conducting, we've um, taken a, uh, a survey over many years and found that people tend to overestimate the probabilities of a crash by by factors of, of five or ten. So, right. um, you know, it's it's always latent there, that, that fear. Mike, I, I'm too choked up to talk. You're going to have to take it. Page 505, he's got a brilliant income substitution, uh, uh, Harry Markowitz chart on the mathematical method of optimization. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's gorgeous would, Euclidean dynamics. He's yeah. trying to sell this book. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk about it. Is there a foundation stone for finance, uh, one concept that is most important? Time is money. Very simple. It's uh, it's uh, the closest connection between money and time are, is finance. Professor, seriously, are we going to get back to where James Diamond is somebody America respects? Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to answer that question, um, but, um, uh, you know, I think that um, the culture will always have some level of antagonism towards the financial uh, infrastructure and people that speak for it. And um, I think it's the uh, duty of, of, of society to, um, uh, to help people understand that finance mm -hmm. works for them. Not enough time. Thank you so much. William Gutsman, Money Changes Everything, How Finance Made Civilization Possible. This is an important book from Princeton University Press. Cindy Lauper, Money Changes Everything. This is a great song. This song is 32 years old. What is that about? 